Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Wake Forest 36-17. It was for Bud, Robbie. How you feeling? Amazing. Is there any better way that we want to go out for Bud than... Uh, and it's not going out. we still got games left. There's a, there's a lot to be played, and he'll be around the program for a long time. But, I mean, that defensive performance is quintessential bud and it's amazing yeah maybe we didn't talk about the impact of how the game in which we honor bud foster will affect the play on the field we did talk about it a little but you never know how much that will be a factor until the game starts and it definitely seemed like a factor why don't you give us a cheers well i'm going to hold off my salute to the team because we're going to talk a lot about that game and my salute to to him and hit on two notes that are unrelated, actually, to to football. The first, uh, it was announced today that Eric Neander, a guy that you and I knew in college, was named 2019 Executive of the Year uh, in MLB. He's the GM of, of the Rays, and we'll get into a little bit of his background because I think it's kind of an interesting story. So it's always nice to see Vir- Virginia Tech alumni in sports doing really well in you know whatever path they they support but it's it's sports related so i figure it's worth hitting and we just had veterans day and one of the news and notes and this is kind of strange of the way they announced it um you know six more names were added to the the pylons the first names added since 2017 i believe uh, when the first woman was added to the pylons uh and that's for those that served in the military and then um you know, and died in, in, in their service. Now, we all know the difference because it's been harped on so many times. Memorial Day is to, you know, salute those that that serve and then die. And Veterans Day is those for, you know, that served and um, in the military. And they're two very different holidays. It's weird that Virginia Tech did it at this time, but um, given it's somewhat related and a news and note that I read up a bit on and I thought was actually really interesting given the history of the school and the cadet presence and, and that sort of thing. I figured um, as weird as it is to announce it now and not near Memorial day, uh, that's uh, a little bit strange, but still worth us all, you know, saying a cheers to and, and um, paying our respects to. Cheers, man. Yeah, it's a day late, but definitely salute to all the, the vets out there. My brother-in-law is a vet and, my cousin was in the Coast Guard, so it's it's a part of the family and uh, definitely something that's that's nice to do this week. And I want to hear that story about Neander. If, you, if we just got a second here, and yeah, it is someone that we knew. In fact, when me and Robbie met, is the same time that I met Eric Neander, which was spring break, my junior year, Robbie's senior year, and uh, it was like a group of us that went down from Tech and JMU down to Mexico, and it was a definitely a silly week. I've talked before on the podcast how Robbie got blistered uh sunburn on the first day just absolutely like lobster uh but he still managed to have a good time the rest of the week <laughs> the the fair irish skin does not do well uh down uh in mexico that's that's for sure uh eric was uh, honestly one of the nicest uh guys that that you ever met his so his backstory which i don't think has ever made it out there it's talked about and i tried to check this online uh earlier today so Eric was like a really stud baseball player in high school, set all sorts of of records up in New York. And his senior, I think it was either his junior or senior year of high school, 
he actually tore up his shoulder uh, playing dodgeball, like Jim dodgeball. Um, and, you know, was diving into the bleachers and just ripped apart his entire shoulder, which effectively ended his chances at a true college career. And, you know, went to college, was hoping to play at Virginia Tech as like a DH big dude. I used to like lift with him and I had used to have to spot him with like the bad shoulder. And like, it gave the fear of God in me that like <laughs> I couldn't hold up this much weight. But in any case, that was like his, his thing. He had scholarship offers all over the country to go play baseball. All of them obviously wiped out as soon as he tore up his, his shoulder. Fast forward, we were all drinking buddies in college and got to know each other pretty well. And then we never really kept up after college for, you know, a multitude of, uh, of reasons, probably mostly my fault, but he, uh, well, wasn't Eric like locked in a closet tracking stats for the Rays right out of college. That's probably why I didn't hear from him. Yeah. He, um, started as an intern and worked his way up in, I think it was 10 seasons. It took him to go from intern to GM of the Rays. Yeah. And he paid his dues for sure. Yeah. And it, just an incredible story and just uh, very much kind of the ho- hokey mentality in the sense that, you know, we don't have the big college Ivy League label to our names, but we're going to work our butts off and, and make something happen for ourselves. So um, I think a, it, it's a it's a cool story because he could have just let baseball, you know, go out of out of his, you know, what his focus was, but made it in a different way and honestly is kind of a savant in the way that he just moved that quickly through the ranks. It's pretty incredible. Not coming from what a lot of GMs are these days, which are like Ivy league dudes, you know, are more money uh, focused and, and less talent focused. He did it through understanding talent and what it took to do on the, uh, the baseball field. And for, I feel like we have some NASCAR fans out there just in case you want to like have something to, to hold them to. He's a, big Kyle Busch fan before it was cool to be a Kyle Busch fan. I don't remember, but all he would talk about is NASCAR and Kyle Busch. And I, I couldn't even spell NASCAR when I got to Virginia tech <laughs> and had to learn more about Kyle Busch than I ever thought I would. Yeah. I did say he paid his dues, but then again, he's about our age. There's probably a lot of people in their forties that are like, how did this kid get to be a GM? And he's a sharp dude. He's done a lot of great networking and obviously he's got a talent for it because he's the GM of the year. And with the payroll the Rays have, obviously that factors in. What he's done has been pretty amazing. Let's move on to some football. News and notes. Bud Foster was honored at the game. We talked about it. They unveiled a banner. I didn't really know they were going to do that. Instead of a number, it had the lunch pail on it. It was pretty emotional for Bud. Lots of former players were on campus. And it kind of set the tone for the afternoon. You were at the game. How was that ceremony? It was. We got there for... We actually got there early. We got there at 2.45. I haven't been early to a game. Probably only two games I've been early to, and that was uh, Frank Beamer's last game. Uh, and then this salute to Bud Foster, which wasn't his last game, but obviously was really important. And I'll say it, and I'm not afraid to say it. I cried again. I cried at the Frank <laughs> Beamer one. And and this one, we took it easy before the game, so it wasn't the alcohol speaking. It it, it was it was tough, and you couldn't just see the emotion that he had. Um, in yeah, in it's okay. Bud cried too. Yeah, exactly. So, 
um it wasn't a heavy cry it was more of one of those like hidden ones uh, as i said yeah, i went you to try to like keep the sunglasses on so no one can see <laughs> yeah i wish i had sunglasses <laughs> i'm there with like this gigantic one of my buddies is a former offensive lineman um he played for colgate and he's like this gigantic burly like dude soft as a teddy bear but i'm like i can't let him see me cry like, like <laughs> see me it's just be so bad Let's move on to the uh, the polls. The AP poll came out, and we did receive some votes this week. We were number 34, if you want to go all the way out there. Wade, Wake dropped out of the polls, but them and UVA both got more votes than we did. Bama moved to number four, Penn State to nine, and Minnesota up to number seven. In the college football rankings, LSU is the new number one. Uh, Ohio State is number two, Clemson three, Georgia four. So that would be your playoff rankings and then alabama after the loss to lsu drops to number five do you have any reaction to any of that not not too much that's probably where i would have pegged everybody i was surprised that they they made the move on alabama to push them back to five because that puts them in a really tough spot going through the rest of the year um they could still get in with that loss but the more that i hear people talk about the scenarios that could play out over the rest of the year and who knows a million things could happen but they have a they have a tough slate to try and now get the wins necessary to get into the college football playoff. And Alabama's been in every single college football playoff, I think, thus far. So that would be huge. Yeah, they do have obviously Auburn coming up, but this is this is gonna be weird going down the stretch because it's hard to see Bama losing again, but Auburn is very good. And if they don't lose I think before the game, they said there was a 70% chance Alabama can lose and still make the playoffs. <laughs> so that that could definitely play out. We'll see. Uh, Wake fell out of the college football playoff rankings after the loss to us. There's only one ACC team in the rankings, and that is Clemson. That's a little sad when you consider there's, uh, I think it's five Big 12 teams in there. Yeah, and probably are there five group of five teams in there or close to? It's got to be quite a few. It's at least four because Appalachian State, uh, Appalachian State popped to number twenty-five. Yeah. So even though they lost a game, they bounced back and barely beat what is it an under five hundred South Carolina team that was good enough to get Appalachian State into the rankings. Let's move to the injuries. Hendon Hooker was back, and it was great to have him on the field. The only one I noticed wasn't out there was Silas Janzi. We were pretty much at full strength everywhere else after being really short-handed last week at Notre Dame. Late in the game, it looked like Ashby tweaked a hamstring. Bud said he practiced today, and he's hoping to have him at full speed for Saturday. Then uh, we definitely want Ashby back, though. It's nice that we have Dax that could move over to Mike at times in the game. Yeah, we're, we found an ability. Those guys are shifting around, whether it's Tisdale or Dax. It just, there's just a lot of movement between them. And I, there are times that we feel like our starters, even when we lose somebody, it's 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 gelling even better when we move people around. I think the experience that they're getting at the different positions and granted, and it's not disrupting what we're being able to do on defense is invaluable. We don't know what the injuries are going to look like moving forward this year, next year. It's pretty incredible that I won't say it's seamless, but that we've been able to overcome what we think are lost starters. And then we're having people come in and being just as productive, if not more productive as a quote unquote backup with shifting positions. It's, it's been remarkable. When you think about what happens when Janzi goes out, it means Tanuta comes in. So it's Hudson, Nestor and Tanuta 
playing on the right side of the line. Those are all freshmen. Yeah. Two of them true freshmen. So it's very impressive what they've been able to do up front the last couple games, taking into account the injuries. The pick'em winner this week was Ryan Hensley. He had 13 correct. That is tied for the most of anyone in any week. Congrats, Ryan. Jason Maliski is still in first overall. Sarah Berlin is now in second, and John May and Michael Dombeville are tied for third. We're coming down the stretch here, Rob. You still got a couple games on me, despite missing a week, so that's that's pretty good for you. I'm hoping I need to get an 11 correct because you had those back-to-back weeks that really thrust you up there. Yeah, you got to have a couple 11s and. I promise. Well, I shouldn't promise anything. Next year, I will not miss a week, and then we'll see where I end up. I don't even think I, I'm pretty sure I'm that far behind that even if I didn't miss that week, I would be nowhere close to having a chance. So hats off to everybody that's done well. The people who are in the top ten are doing really well. Now, there's something I noticed this week, and it's something we can correct next year when we do the pick 'em. We've had some lines that are even numbers, so when it pushes, it gives a credit for a win. So that's something next year we should just pick a half line and just make sure that it's either a true win or a true loss. And it's fine because it's even for everybody. I'm just saying if you were looking at a percentage and betting, you wouldn't necessarily win money with those with that percentage because some of them were pushes. But that's just something we can take into account for next year. That's fair. I'll just I'll just pick a half point to go up or down and just try and rotate rotate between them. (laughs) Yeah, whatever favors you the best, you know, (laughs) (laughs) move the line. The last announcement I had was we are doing a live show in Philly this Saturday at the Rap Shack on 11th Street in Center City, Philadelphia. And Robbie's not going to be able to make it, but I'm helping out the Philadelphia Alumni Association. There's details on Facebook and Twitter about the event. It's going to be a little pregame Q&A with Eric Gallo and former running back Josh Oglesby, and it's going to be followed by the GT Watch Party. Uh, Not sure if I'll be able to figure out a way to record it and get like good quality because there's going to be PA speakers and different mics, but if I can get a good quality recording, I will post it to the feed of the podcast, but I'm looking forward to the event. If you're in the Philadelphia area, come to center city, come to the new rap shack on 11th street. It's going to be fun. Is it going to be, and I haven't asked you because we've been going different directions. Is it going to be live recorded that anybody can tune in or is it only going to be, you know, for the people that are there? Because if it's for, yeah, it's for people who are going to come out to the show that, and that's why I'm trying to get, to record it so I can post it the podcast, but I just don't know. You know how the audio setups goes at times. It, it can be difficult. Yeah, you, I might make you uh, throw out a Periscope uh, out there. Just to, it'll, it'll be terrible quality, but you can at least have it running because I at least want to listen to it. So if I don't get to listen to it, then uh, I'll, I'll be really disappointed. I, I'll pro- I'll get something. So maybe I hit whatever I get, you, you'll at least get to hear. All right, let's hop into the game recap. We've we've kind of uh, been talking about a bunch of different things here, but let's talk about this game because this was a huge win. We started the game with a 9-minute and 27-second drive. I was talking about the end of the Notre Dame game, about those long drives. We had a 19-play drive to start the game. Uh, unfortunately, we had a bad snap, led to the 35-yard field goal by Brian Johnson, and we fumbled on our next drive, and Wake was able to capitalize, uh, made it 3-3. Three to three. We fought it around a little bit for the rest of the first half, only able to put up one more field goal and wake out of the touchdown to make it 10-6 to at halftime. But the second half was pretty much all VT. We scored on our first three drives, turning wake over twice with interceptions and also once on downs. We outscored wake 30-7 to in the final 30 minutes of the game. 
Uh, we won fairly easily when it was all said and done. 36-17, to 17, a 19-point victory, Robbie. What, what did you think about the game? Um, so many things. I have a list of so many bullets. We're not even going to get to maybe the half of them. Uh, amazing performance, the long drives, the run game. Everything is just starting to feel Virginia Tech. I don't know how to put it any differently than that. It's starting to feel like Virginia Tech offense and defense. Whether that will continue remains to be seen. But even in the Notre Dame game, it started with the defense starting to to go the way that we're used to seeing things on the field. And honestly, it's a huge win. That That's a really talented Wake Forest team, and we'll get into the details of it. But you can say whatever you want. A lot of those passes were really good passes. Amazing breakups by our DBs. It, this was not Wake Forest giving away a game whatsoever. And honestly, on the other side of the ball, the offense just looked like we, we've always hoped. It, it, it was it was very unexpected what was going to happen on every single play. The setups looked beautiful. Overall, the game was just tremendous. And to... To be a what we finished as a two point dog or thereabouts to more than double up Wake Forest, that's a really good team, is pretty incredible. It really was. I'd say that the story of the game was the standout defensive performance in honor of Bud Foster. We only gave up 301 yards, 4.63 yards per play. That was our lowest average of the season versus a P5 team. And you alluded to the efficient offense that continued to get more effective as the game wore on. We dominated the clock in the first half. It allowed us to get Waller back largely unscathed. And I thought it was the most complete game versus a power team, an ACC team, whatever you want to say, since Duke last year. But beyond that, when was the last time we beat an actually good team this late in the season this convincingly? It's been a very long time. Yeah, I, I can't recall, and it it goes to show, and I think a lot of people spoke to it at the national level, that it was nice to come back from that game and listen to people because it, it did not get a lot of buzz. Most people were, everybody was high on Wake Forest, but as soon as we beat them, everybody just kind of wrote them off and didn't even talk about the game. But the narrative that most people did have was, well, Notre Dame wasn't a fluke. Right. Like, and that was actually, that's, that's a compliment. I, you know, some people would think of that as, you know, digging on, on Virginia tech, but I don't think it is. It shows that we went into that game statistically, we were outmatched, you know, probably players on the field recruiting, whatever you want to say in that game. And to come back a week after and say, screw all that. Like we're, we're here and we're starting to get it together is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, I thought it was very impressive the way the team was able to bounce back after the deflating loss. Just They could have been mad at the refs. They could have been mad at just the way it all went down at the end, but they weren't, and they just put it behind them, and it was very evident early on in the game that they did. If we hadn't had the turnovers early on, we could have really opened it up in the beginning of the game, but as it, as it was, it turned out to be a very dominant second half of the game. We, it's been said on Twitter all week. I said it last week in the podcast, the first win over a ranked team since 2009 in 10 years. That's more of a quirk than anything else. I mean, we were we were sensational in 2011. We were very good in 2010. It's just kind of been weird because we've beaten like 10 ranked teams on the road since that 
game. It's just a, it's kind of a, an oddity that it hadn't happened, but it finally happened. Yeah. I mean, at home has been challenging in those big games. It's uh, the moment's been bigger than the team. And in this time, this instance, the team was bigger than the moment. And I think that it, that says a lot about, well, I'll, I'll summarize it when we get to like sure. kind of the game recap of what, what I think it means, but it was, it was incredible. The atmosphere was good. Then to now we're going to get into the specifics, but it was the stadium was pretty filled. The normal pockets were empty that you usually see. Um, but other than that, I don't want to get into the whole like who's leaving at the end of the game, whatever. I don't really care that much. the The fan base was there in support, and it was it was loud. It was exciting. I thought it was a good show up. It was awesome. Let's start with the defense since since that was the the story of the day. Wade came in averaging 38 points per game. We only gave up 17, and that was with a couple turnovers from the VT offense as well. We forced Jamie Newman into his worst performance of the season, just a 32.8 QBR after a 95 last week against NC State. He was 16 for 35, which comes to 46%. He's normally at 67%. Uh, He had negative rush yards. We got three sacks, seven hurries on him. We were pressuring him all day, and it... That really changed the game, I thought. Yeah, I, I think it did change the game. I mean, there were seven tackles for a loss by the defense, multiple pressures outside of that. And Newman was very composed in the pocket most of the time. If he had any room, he was able to sit in the pocket and get a throw off. And even some of those throws were exactly on point. And the DBs just swatted them. They, you know... They always talk about, you know, throw your arm up through the basket. And actually, it was said by one of the commentators in the game, like on on the long passes, that Virginia Tech style of playing defensive back where you're just watching the eyes and watching the arms. And as soon as they go up, just like stuff your hand through. So he he honestly threw a lot of really great balls in that game and a testament to you know, us being able to create pressure to make him force it a little bit and make him a little bit confused, motion in the backfield and people covering in, in the ways that they should be. And I, overall, it was it was it was pretty amazing to watch a quarterback like that that I think we can all still walk away from that game saying is extremely talented and an offense that's extremely talented to shut them down is uh, a testament to what they did. Yeah. We used a lot of press coverage. That kind of knocked them off their fast-paced game. Great performances from Dax, Floyd, Diablo, Farley, Crawford, Garbett, Belmar. I could go on, but you get the idea. It was a group effort, but some of those guys really stood out. There were interceptions for Dax and Crawford. Crawford won ACC Player of the Week on the the defensive line, uh, Player of the Week. Garbett forced both interceptions, and he had the slow start because of the shoulder injury. But he's starting to really come on. Belmar's starting to come on at defensive end. That's exciting because we, the last two years, we've had a really hard time getting pressure on the quarterback. And you can see what it leads to when we do get it. And the defensive tackles, with the, the addition of the Juco Crawford has been a game changer because Hewitt is a good, solid player. But Crawford is so dynamic, uh, adds a different element in the middle of that line. And watching him drop back into coverage and pick that ball off was so sweet. <laughs> he... It was so funny because he was creeping towards the line. I watched it a few times. And then you see him take about four yards back. And then you just see the eyes and you're like, he's going to catch this ball. Like, uh, my goodness, he's going to have an interception. That was incredible. Garbit with knocking that that pass and hitting 
hitting Newman on that. And then Dax with the heads up play. That's like an outfield Willie Mays Hayes type catch. It was over the shoulder, like his off shoulder away from like where he's running to. Yeah, he had to back up quite a few steps to yeah. get it. And he he caught it facing the opposite way to, you know, facing the the quarterback. So it was a true Willie Mays Hayes catch and huge heads up. It was it was pretty remarkable. Also with that, the whole delayed mesh point with Wake Forest has to be so hard to deal with. And you probably noticed it as well. That's They've been doing it all season. I think we talked a little bit about it in the last podcast. That hold, they hold it so long, and he's such a terrific quarterback that that can be extremely dangerous. The way he's reading everything that's happening out on the field, waiting for that opening to just pull it and... The team did well, you know, responding to it. It's that's tough. They do it so well. It's pretty incredible. I also thought this was the best game by the safeties. I, I, I said their names, but Diablo and Floyd really like are playing like we expected them at the beginning of the season. They've kind of been up and down and a little bit more down. And just these last two, three games, we've seen them really turn a corner and it's made a huge difference for the defense. On the outside, Farley is now tied for sixth nationally in passes defended per game. He's number one in the ACC, uh, number one in pass breakups as well in the ACC. This is a guy who just last year was having all kinds of coverage issues. And now I, I'm almost worried that he could leave early for the NFL. Like that's that's like kind of where I'm getting to because you look at the numbers, he is putting up a lot of pass defended numbers. And soon enough, quarterbacks are going to learn to just stay away. Yeah, it's incredible. A guy that switched positions, you know, he's moved around a lot and we all knew, but we're not patient enough. We all said it to ourselves. Like you have to give him time. He has to learn the position. He'll he'll be good when he starts to figure it out. But we're always like, man, when's he going to figure it out? When's he going to like, it's a game by game thing. That's not how these things play out. You know, other than like the most elite players can just play any position and he's starting to, He's not starting. He's well beyond figuring it out. There were some missed tackles. Um, in, in particular, um, the Surratt uh, pass in the end zone where he bounced off. And might yeah, have been four. that was disappointing. Yeah, it was, might, might have been four guys that he, he, that ended up, one he bounced off of and three others that had a chance to make the tackle there. There was some room for improvement, but overall the, the defense played lights out I, I, and seeing their development week over week. If a Hokie isn't excited about that, I don't know what you can get excited about because it, it looks fantastic. I did want to give Chamari Connor a shout out too, just because he was nursing a hammy dealing with those wake wide receivers and tight ends. And, and he still managed to get himself a uh, 1.5 tackles for loss and a sack. And at the end of the game, I think he made a pretty big play. So I, I just love some of these guys on defense. They're they're getting better all the time. They're still so young, and we're only giving up two point two yards per rush. And with the way the pass D and the corners are coming along, it's what we said before. Like we've got the talented players. When is it going to come together? It's starting to come together for this defense, and it's really exciting. Let's move over to offense. We finally outgained a Power 5 team by a significant margin. We had 470 yards to Wake's 301. And I think the real, the way it got started off so well was that first drive. And combine that with the drive a couple ones later where we had a seven-minute drive, that was 16 minutes off the clock in the first half. 
And I thought that was really helpful for the defense, not only because we were getting Waller back at halftime, but it kept them fresh and gave them confidence that we were going to be on the field and scoring later in the game. So the beginning of the game, we really set the tone offensively. And and it came down to some great play calls, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I was I was blown away by a lot of things in, in the game on the offensive side of the ball. The We went from, and we'll talk a lot about this, we went from Quincy Patterson by my stats, and my stats are all that matters because I'm the only one who keeps track of them, is it went from Quincy Patterson being one of the longest passing games that we've had under Fuente to Hooker having one of the shortest. You would think with Quincy Patterson and most and I'm not an expert. Most would think that he is a better running threat than he is a passing threat. So why are we throwing the deep ball? Hooker is a better passing threat than he is a running threat. If you take that out of the whole situation, the scheme in this game was was borderline perfect. I mean, it, it was it was made. There was the bubble screen that people don't like, but it was used at the right time. There was. <laughs> The the run the plays, sweeps. yeah. The jet sweeps that came in were perfectly timed. the The fake bubble screen would like came in, and it was just amazing. Like the offensive line played so well and was blocking so well that we had runs up the middle for yardage that we haven't really seen lately. Usually, there were plenty of stuffed plays, but even those set up other plays that just work so well. Um, somebody came out and said it might have been on a message board that Wake Forest just looked like perplexed and frazzled. Like they didn't know what was going to end up coming next. And that's what we always hope to see. And it started to happen in this game. Yeah, it was the offense that Fuente has wanted to run since day one. And we saw it in year one. We saw it a little in year two. And when we had to make the switch to Willis last year, we no longer had this offense that would, as I like to say, flatten out the defense. You go side to side, you stab. You go side to side, you stab. And that's... That's what Fuente's offense is. Everything in the beginning of the game tends to lead to a setup for something later in the game. We even saw the pop pass we've been waiting for for so long. The one that Trayvon McMillan ran so well. The one that Sam Rogers ran so well. We got it to Wheatley and Wheatley freaking fumbled it away. But the play call was perfect. It was amazing. And that was just another example of, I don't... (laughs) This You always talk about a beautiful mind. Like that's what Cornelson did in this game. And if we're going to you know, roast him when he has bad games and bad calls. He deserves credit for this one because I can't really complain about anything I saw from the offense. Even though we we could only put up six points in the first half, that wasn't really on the coaches. We turned the ball over twice. We had another bad snap. That, that killed three drives that were going well at the time. So a really a nice, like, masterpiece – of an offensive game plan that built on itself and built on itself till we could open up it up in the second half. Hooker was very good again. His QBR dropped a little bit, but his passer rating was good. What was it? Over 300 yards total, a, r- a rushing touchdown, 153-yard passer rating. His overall passer rating is higher than Trevor Lawrence's on the season. He's still and. <laughs> Fine. I, I'm not going to not review the game that we just had because I'm worried about jinxing stuff in the future. He still hasn't had an interception. I, I, I mean, he is protecting the ball well. He has had a fumble issue here or there. He's running so well. McLeese is running really well. Turner in the run game, how fast is he in mixing it up? We had 
wide receivers running the ball. We had running backs catching the ball, but it all looked cohesive. It didn't look desperate, which at times our offense looks a little bit desperate. Like we're just doing things to mix it up. This looked like we were trying to put ourselves in position. The blocking on the outside wasn't perfect, but it looked a heck of a lot better than we've seen in the past. Um, there were there were gaps for people. It was the longest yards after catch under Fuente, um, which is incredible. That's four seasons worth of data we're almost at. The longest yards after catch, and that's because the the receivers are catching stuff with room to move. That that's a testament to the blocking in front of them and setting up good scheme which is pretty incredible. We didn't throw a pass beyond 20 yards from the line of scrimmage and distance wise, which is the first time that's happened under Fuente period. That's never so happened. Strange. Yeah. It, like everything was different, but it just made sense. Yeah. They, I was reading something that any bitter was writing about, uh, about the Oklahoma state game. Cause they run a really fast offense and wake was running a really fast offense and the game plan was very similar to that game where we came out running the football, kind of methodical drives, and we had a very good chance to win that bowl game versus Oklahoma State because the game plan was perfect. This was similar, but we had much better execution, and we were able to put that game plan to good use. It worked like a charm. I'm getting really excited about the run game. The, we're getting contributions from lots of guys like you talked about, not just the running backs, but the wide receivers. James Mitchell scored another rushing touchdown. 228 yards, a 4.75 yard per carry average. That's our highest versus an FBS team this season. Trey had over 100 total yards. McLeese with 69 total yards and two touchdowns. I mentioned Mitchell with a TD. He had 59 total yards because he had a nice catch or two. Hazleton continues to be great in the passing game. Seven receptions for 86 yards. That's the second most receptions in a game for him. He had 12 last year versus Notre Dame. But the most in a game this season and the second most for his career. He is a beast. We finally, like I said, got to see the pop pass. Maybe we'll see it again down the road. I, I hate when a play like that, you wait and wait and wait, and it kind of gets ruined. Yeah. But, man, I, I just I love that play. Tr- Trayvon was so fast. He was able to just take it to the house without anyone even sneaking up on him to force a fumble. I, I wish Wheatley had that speed. I think that was it for the offense. I did want to shout out the offensive line as well because what they've done with this young group of guys is really impressive these last couple games. You consider that Hoyt hasn't played since his injury. We didn't get Hoffman cleared. Lasitas has been out. Silas has been out. You got three freshmen on the line. Cannon's filling in here or there. He he was playing right guard. He was playing left guard last game. It's amazing what they're doing. Yeah, I did have a few other kind of shout outs or just in to call out single plays. So you have the Wheatley amazing play doesn't switch hands, keeps it in his right hand, doesn't move it over to his left. It gets punched out. Then Trey Turner has a similar play on that absolute when he was just wheeling down the right-hand side, switches it over to his right hand, and oh, and there's a huge punch to get the ball out. Learns from Wheatley's mistake, and not that that's what you know taught him the lesson, but holds on to it, and... It was it was perfect. Long, I didn't pick up on play. that. That's that's pretty cool. And yeah. you know, kind of learning from each other. Hazelton on the pass over the shorter pass on the left, where he absolutely juked that that player on the. He was basically about to get taken down. Nails the the cornerback and then just keeps running with the ball for 
a huge long gain was incredible. And then again, to go back to him, McLeese twice, he had amazing runs. One, he bounced off of a, a surefire tackle right almost at the line of scrimmage. And he literally ricochets off, spins around. And that's not even the spin move that he pulled. It's a different play. Comes around and then runs for another 10 yards was incredible. Not to mention what he did at the goal line on on that power play to, to get it into the end zone. Just really exactly what Fuente kind of always said happened in this game was we need to make people miss. We need to, mm-hmm. we need to do stuff in open field that showed up what, what he's been harping on showed up in this game. And it's a huge credit to the players with the effort they put in. Definitely. I also liked when we were driving, we got close to the goal line and I think we handed it to McLeese three straight times and he ran it into the end zone. Yeah. He's been developing and I know his Notre Dame game, maybe a little, not so good, but that's a very good defense. And his run now that he's put together for five games, six games, he's playing like an upperclassman. And so I'm happy for McLeese. He's become a very valuable asset for us. And it's all about making those guys miss. And I wonder in the run game, how much of an impact Jerry Kill is having. It's something that we've kind of talked about a little bit. Jerry Kill came in or his announcement was just before the Duke game. So he he just got there and we got blown out, whatever. But since then, and even in the Duke game, McLeese had 100 yards, I think. <laughs> and so we've seen an impact. I don't know if it's Jerry Kill specifically, but McLeese even talked about talking to him when he comes off the field about, like, you know, advice, this and that. So, uh, hey, if that if Jerry Kill's the reason, I'm glad we brought him on. Yeah, you and I texted about it, and – it's not something I'm not taking away credit from any of the coaching staff, any of the players, but sometimes everybody's like, you know, in the IT world, they're like, yeah, we eat our own dog food. Sometimes in college football, eating your own dog food isn't always the good thing. Like you need somebody else to kind of come in and see things from an outside standard, like an outside point of view on what it mm-hmm. looks like. So it hasn't hurt like whatsoever. And the only thing I can think is that it's helped just having that objective or somewhat objective opinion about what people are seeing on the field and how you can improve it. Maybe we're reading too much into it, but I do think it's helped. Absolutely. The team is playing great. And I, I put something out on Twitter about just my uh, my stance on Fuente, where it was, where it went after the Duke game and where it is now. And just like Cornelson, if you're gonna trash him when he's doing bad and embarrassing your school over and over again, you have to give him credit when he gets the first win over a ranked team in 10 years. And we're gonna give him credit because the team has been playing like a completely different team since the Duke game. And it makes you wonder if Hooker had started since day one, what would our record be? I think at minimum, it's probably seven and two. Yeah. But maybe it's eight and one, maybe it's nine and oh. But the biggest counter to that, and it's been pointed out to me multiple times on Twitter, is that without the Duke pantsing, would we have the motivation, uh, would we have the, the rock-bottom moment that we needed to turn it around? It's, it's such a fair point, and it's, it's absolutely true. I will say that this team is completely different. I, I, statistically, 
you know, in the past game, they're statistically different in the run game. They're statistically like, and maybe that's all a credit to, you know, getting beat up, but this is the team that I expected to have a full year and it wasn't. And that's cool. I'm more than happy to, I said 10 and two and I'll, I'll be fine to look like an idiot, but this is the team that I saw in this last game and even a little bit in the Notre Dame game with the resolve that they showed to stick with it and to nearly pull out a win that they had no business being a part of that I expected. And I'm, I don't really care about the past. I'm more happy about where they're at right now. Yeah. It's the team we thought we'd have. You, you said it perfectly. And if they go nine and three with a one point loss to Notre Dame, Robbie, I'm going to say that you are right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. All right. We're going to move on to our matchup with Georgia Tech. Uh, I, I do want to talk a little bit about bowl projections because that's something we can actually start thinking about now. I'm, I'm almost nervous to, to jinx it because we'd need another win. I'm nervous. There. You're about to jinx it. All right. Then <laughs> it, we're, we're not going to do it. We're going to take our beer break. Then we're going to talk some Georgia Tech. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am drinking, I don't think this has been on the podcast uh, again. Sorry to everybody if I'm rushing home, grabbing beers on the way. Uh, this is the Resist Consume Life Drink Art. It is from Adroit Theory out in Percival, Virginia, where my parents lived for a long time. A good brewery. They just, not, not too recently, a little bit ago, started canning their beers. They used to do the bottles with like the cork top and they were impossible to open. And then finally pressure got them to move to cans, which I think is a perfect move for them. It's a triple IPA, Mosaic, Citra, Simcoe hops. It's 10% alcohol by volume. It's got the, um, I don't know, remember the original origin. Do you remember this image? I know it was the, I do remember the the Obama, the Obama, uh, picture. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the Obama hope uh, picture, the hope picture. They, they, they put it on a, a star Wars theme. Um, which is uh, quite weird, but overall the beer is pretty good. The triple IPAs have become too much for me and I kind of stay away from them, but I was in a rush. So I figured I would get a new beer for the podcast. The droids got their own kind of weird style. It's very dark, uh, Gothic theme. The artwork's good. The beer's good, but it's a, it's a triple. So it's a lot to take down. I am drinking the, First draft, make the world better beer from Yards Brewing Company in Philadelphia. Make the world better is a foundation by Connor Barwin, the football player for the Texans and then the Eagles. He was on the Rams most recently and now he's retired, but he's done a lot of charity work in Philadelphia over the years since his time with the Eagles. And they had a release party for this beer up at the brewery a couple weeks ago. So me and my wife went. It's a beer that's right up my alley. It's an IPA, 7% alcohol. It's brew with the spruce tips, Robbie. You know how much I love those like piney type beers. Get you somebody not, that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. That's a, <laughs> it's not for everyone. I I will say that it it, it, it kind of sometimes smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution, <laughs> but, but but it tastes fantastic. I I really enjoy the, the earthy uh, flavored IPAs. So this is the make the world better. You can pick it up there. I'm not sure how wide the distribution is, so I'm not doing anyone any favors, but if you happen to be in Philadelphia this weekend, coming to the event, perhaps that I'm going to be helping host, maybe you stop by yards and grab yourself some beer. 
Let's get into Georgia Tech. Virginia Tech is going down to Atlanta November 16th, 3.30 p.m. on ACC Network. Georgia Tech's 2-7. They're 1-5 in the ACC. Their two wins are South Florida and Miami. So it's something about the Florida schools that Jeff Collins just gets up for. He did used to coach at UF, so maybe that's it. Uh, They lost to the Citadel, however, (laughs) and they also didn't score on offense versus Temple. They only scored a safety, (laughs) but they played Pitt and UVA very tough, and those were their more recent games. It's a young transitioning team, particularly on offense. They're definitely getting better, uh, and they've beaten us three years in a row. So I don't want to, I don't want to poo-poo this Georgia Tech team. This is a game we need to be ready and focused for, and go down there and get a win. I don't want to poo-poo it at all because. It's a scary game for us because it's important. We he still hasn't beaten Georgia Tech. You know, Virginia Tech and we may have talked to it is 52 rankings. Everything that we usually talk about is SP plus 52 overall, 72 offense, 48 on defense. What I was surprised to see, and I think you might have been as well and made put it out there. Georgia Tech is number 99th, not good. 110 on offense, not good. 49th on defense. They have really turned it on on that side of the ball and way faster. And it's not that surprising, right? Collins, he's a great coach. I think everybody knew that he was a great coach. They thought he had a long way to go with this program. I didn't know that they were going to make the defense that salty this early on. We all expected this from the offense. You're basically uprooting an entire triple option offense and trying to turn it into a traditional offense. But that defense, it's good, and they just played UVA. I have a UVA fan in my office, and he was scared in that game. That was They played them really close. They're getting better every week. They, they really are. And I, being up here watching a lot of Temple football, I have two brothers-in-law that went to Temple. And actually, I have three brothers-in-law that went to Temple. So I have seen my fair share of their games. And they are a tough defensive team the last few seasons. And that's because of Jeff Collins. They do some creative things on offense, too. But I knew that Georgia Tech, athlete-wise, wasn't that far behind. So defensively, they're, they didn't really they're, – they're better probably than they were the last two years on defense. It's the offense that we knew switching over was going to be – where they needed to catch up. And that's exactly what's happening. Like you said, the 110th on offense, 49 on defense. I mean, it's a huge juxtaposition there, but the overall quality of the team is still, it's still low. And we're now, depending on where you look, we're a top 50 team. I think S&P has us at 52. Sagarin has us at 54. We're, we're almost 50 spots ahead of where Georgia Tech is in every ranking. So this is a game that we should go down there and win, but it doesn't mean that I'm not nervous. I said last week, this game scares me. Atlanta has not treated us particularly well. And, and against Fuente, he's 0-3. So this is a get over the hump. I, I know it's a different It's not Paul Johnson, so that's nice. But it's still a get over the hump. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm hoping in some ways, it's always it's not nice when a coach uses their history as a way to motivate the team like i've never beat (laughs) georgia tech so that's why we have to go out and play well that's not a great look but in the mind state this team probably has right now after a that notre dame game and a great wake forest performance 
I feel like it's it's motivation that you could probably use. You have to word it the right way. It's like, hey, we haven't done great against this team. It's time to go out and get W. <laughs> you know, well, because we've complained about the fact that he's kind of gotten in his own head playing George Tech. Because he would always talk about possessions and you need to make the most of them and whatever. That's a little bit gone. However, Georgia's, Georgia Tech this year is still a run-focused team because that's what the talent is, has dictated. In the beginning of the season, they were starting Tobias Oliver. Now they've, they're moved to the freshman James Graham at, at QB, who was at one point a Virginia Tech commit. He decommitted on the initial signing day, whatever you call that, uh, the December signing day, and committed with Georgia Tech on that very same day. We wanted them to play DB. I think GT was going to give him a chance to obviously play quarterback, and that's that's what he is now. He's their starting QB as a freshman. I think it's a redshirt freshman, but still a freshman. 6'1", 192. He's got almost 1,000 yards passing, only 47% completion, 8 TD to 5 INTs. His ratings, not very good. The 40 QBR is bad. However, he's coming off of his best game, which was against UVA. Yeah, and you've tweeted out a bunch about how UVA's lost a lot of a lot of talent in the backfield. I mean, that's that's pretty obvious, but he went 15 for 22 against UVA, 229 yards, two TDs, another TD on the ground uh, with that. So responsible for three of their TDs. But it really comes down, Jordan Mason, their running back, has been, I guess I don't want to put it in a mean way, but their only bright spot really on the offense thus far this year. And... 129 rushes, 716 yards, 7 TDs. He's averaging 5.6 a carry. It's it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. Outside of that, and then there's a Maureen Brown, I think it is, is probably um, the right way to yeah, pronounce Marion, it. Marion, maybe. But yeah, yeah they, I'm, I'm with you. Like You look at Brown, there's Sanders and Carter at receiver, and then they got the tight end, Davis. No one has more than 17 catches on the year. And one guy has over 300 yards uh, from scrimmage other than the running back, Mason. So they're limited offensively is how I'd put it. The one good running back, a freshman QB who's still kind of getting his feet under him but improving, and then a bad O-line. They're 100th in sacks allowed per game, 111th in tackles for loss allowed I don't think the Georgia Tech offense is very good. It's not something I'm going to be up at night, the night before the game, worrying about. But Graham's running ability, that's always sneaky. You never know. Like we got to keep him in contain. That's going to be the key. If he starts breaking off run after run, it could be a long afternoon. But outside of that, with the way our defense has played against the rush the last few games, I'm not particularly worried. Well, we just came off of a, uh, a quarterback that doesn't run the ball is an amazing passer, has amazing pocket presence. And before that, somebody that was, I guess everybody called him sneaky athletic is probably the best way that... Ian Book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's not exactly the best compliment. It just means that you can move around and you can make some yards when you have to make some yards. The defense is really where I start to get a little bit worried. I'm, I'm not as worried about the offense, their offense, I should say. The defense yeah. is where things get a little bit trickier and I think it's a good time for it to get trickier for us to start to see what we're going to put out on the field because there is more of a run threat in this game we just came off of a 
highly prolific offensive pass threat. And now we get to see what's going to happen when we're going to force it to the ground. And that's for some people, probably a little bit scary for me. It's a little bit exciting to see how much the developments actually happen. The Georgia tech defense, although they're 49th in the S and P they're 64th in yards per play, 54th in opposing QB rating and 91st in yards per carry allowed. That's kind of music to my ears when you think about what we've done in the run game offensively the last few games. Just had 228 yards. Notre Dame, not as good, but the the games before that, we were starting to build that running game, getting over 100, 150, 200 yards a game. This this leads me to believe that we can do that again. They they might try to just shut us down and stop the run, but then we're going to go to Hazleton over the top. Like We should be able to move the ball on the ground with Hooker and King and McLeese and that that excites me. They're also 110th on third down. Opposing teams are converting 45%, 94th in tackles for loss per game, 98th in sacks. So the statistic that is the most favorable for for Georgia Tech is the S&P plus. And I just I can't quite see it based on all of the other statistics. I'd agree with that. They also have a couple they have injuries at all three levels at this point that they're dealing with. So I think Caleb Oliver's out. I was looking at it today. I couldn't figure out definitively, but at DB, Swillings is out. He was a good linebacker for them, so he's out for the season. That's definitive. And then you go back up. So they have their linebacker, David Curry, leads the team in tackles, but he has two sacks, one interception, and a forced fumble. Had a good day against the Cavaliers as well. Tariq Carpenter at DB, Second on tackles, he has three passes defended and a forced fumble. Nothing statistically really kind of shakes me in my boots in in this game. I tend to agree with you. It's a decent defense, not a great defense. And if the offense shows up the way they did in this past game, we should be all right in that side of the ball. That said, it's Georgia Tech, and they would love nothing else in a new coach would love nothing else than to really just stomp on us in a game like this and just make it embarrassing. Not embarrassing score-wise, but we should win this game. If you lose the game, it will be embarrassing. I mean, I don't know how this team beat Miami. With the way Miami is playing, with the way they look on paper, because they're the highest-rated S&P Plus behind Clemson in, in, in in that metric, and they lost to this team. So clearly Georgia Tech is able to get it together for a game and beat people. I mean, South Florida's not a bad team either. Their back seven on defense is decent, but the D-line is not very good. We should have an advantage there. We should have an advantage in both trenches. There, That is where we're going to win this game. The run D has been improving and the run game has been improving. Get out there and mash them in both regards. You know, let's... Let's mow down the field, get those running game going, get the sweeps going, whatever you need to do to move the ball on the ground, and then give Hooker a chance to put it in the air a little bit as well. Defensively, attack this team. You know, attack attack Graham. Make him uncomfortable. Bud Foster with a freshman quarterback is generally a pretty good recipe. Look what we did to the freshman quarterback against Miami. He was so bad in that game, they pulled him 
and kind of swapped him and Nikosa Perry out for a couple games, and now he's back the starter. That was just the Bud Foster effect against that freshman quarterback. So let's do that to Graham in this game. Yeah, and it's – I hate the – because we always use the line, and he always uses the line. Like, this one, just stop the run. If you can stop the run, you're going to force – if the – let me take that a different way – if you can stop the run and the DBs can do a quarter or half of what they just did against Wake Forest, then I think we should be fine. Yeah. I, I only thing I'm really worried about is Graham's running ability because he is fast. I mean, when you think about when we've gone up against QB threats, when we lose contain, things just go off the rails. It gets ugly really, really quickly. And if they can just play the outside well and force things in the center. There's there's going to be good blocking maybe once in a while and quarterback maybe get a, a good run for 10 yards, 15 yards, whatever the case. Just keep your focus and don't allow the outside kind of QB run. And I think that's going to be a big, a big point of emphasis that I always see when things break down against fast quarterbacks that we end up going up against. I think we can shut down the traditional run game, and I think we can shut down the pass game. And it's going to be a question of how good the defense can play. And even if Ashby is limited, because he's got the hammy now, Dax can fill in, and I don't expect them to put up that many points. I think we can hold them to 17 or fewer. And on offense, we're really starting to hit our stride right now. We really are. If, if we don't lose focus, we should put up into the mid-30s in points. Every game Hooker has started, we've put up at least 34 points. I think we can get there again. And if we're the program now that we think we were at the beginning of the season, this is a game you got to win. Keep the guys locked in after the Wake victory and get over the GT help. That, that's what this is about. Just keep your focus and go down there and win the game. <clears throat> the spread is Virginia Tech minus five and a half. When you hear that, does, does what does that do? Does that make you scared, or do you think that's about right? I mean, I loved us being <laughs> underdogs against Notre Dame. I loved us being underdogs against Wake. I hate being a fan. I love being underdogs going into a game. That's just like my mo. The only time I bet on Virginia Tech typically is when we're underdogs because I think it's just added motivation. People say that doesn't seep into the locker room. But I do think that Fuente can sell the fact that, like, hey, guys, go down there and win, and we're bowl eligible. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty big selling point. I thought the five and a half is too low. I like our chances to cover, but UVA didn't cover. UVA was – they lost to UVA by five, so that wouldn't have covered the spread. Uh, Georgia Tech lost to Pitt by 10. They lost to UNC by 16 and Duke by 18. You got to keep in mind, some of those results are farther back. The Pitt game and the UVA game, I think, are a little bit more pertinent. And both of their defenses, at least if you look at as a B plus, are good notch better than ours. I think the difference is our offense is so much better than theirs. So I, I do like our chances to cover the spread. But it's I'm not it's not something I'm gonna be betting. It's not something we're gonna necessarily be picking on this podcast. But I thought the five and a half for the way we've been playing and their record, maybe a little low. I said the Notre Dame spread was stupid. I mean, it's just I I bet on it, bet on it hard. Then we came back. Vegas corrected. 
they corrected not enough, obviously, and I still would have taken <laughs> us over uh, over over Wake with my own money. I don't like saying that stuff on the podcast, but and now it looks like they've now overcorrected again, and they're just like this is a this is a big game. It's not a rivalry game the way that traditional teams think about it. But this is a tough game, and it means a lot to both teams. That when the techs go up against each other in the Tecmo Bowl, it is it's important to both teams, and that emotion I think is what makes me a little bit wary of the the five and a half. I think if we play the game that we just played, or close to it, not you know call it eighty percent of what we just played is enough to cover that spread. My worry yeah. is if we got eighty percent of what we just played, we we'd probably win by three touchdowns, in my opinion. I hope I, you're right. This this, this that defensive performance against an offense like Wake, and then put it against GT's offense, it it would I don't know it would go really well. So let's hope we that's what we get. Let's take a quick beer break before we move on to our picks and just some final coastal thoughts before we sign off. What pine beer are you drinking this time? <laughs> I'm actually having the Cano Bliss Hazy IPA from Oscar Blues right now. It's a obviously a hazy 7.2% alcohol. Maybe some of you have had this out there. More of a summery beer, obviously most hazies are. It's pretty good. Oscar Blues puts out a very solid product. And I don't think it's my favorite hazy I've ever had. There's so many now to choose from, but... It's definitely solid, and I'm enjoying it right now. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm going to have to go against uh, one of the breweries that I think is probably one of my favorites, from the local beers at least. So I'm having a Hardywood, and it's from Richmond. It's And I knew as soon as I picked it up off the shelf, but I decided to commit to it. It's the Hardywood Wildflower. And once like I got to the cash register and read it, I knew I was going to hate it, but it's more my fault. It's a double IPA with wildflower honey in it. It's 8.8%, so it's it's got a little it's got a little uh a little butt to it. So it's good. There's just so much sweetness in there. It's almost hard to kind of stomach. It's um it's too much for me, and I just came off of a triple IPA, so maybe that's it. And I love Hardywood, so no disrespect to them because they make some incredible beers. And this one's just—it's not for me. It's got a lot of honey in there. So just on the coastal, real quick, if Pitt were to lose to UNC this weekend, I think that means we could potentially lose to them but still win the Coastal on a tiebreak as long as we beat Georgia Tech and UVA. This is not something we want to have to rely on. There's a lot of Coastal scenarios that are out there because maybe Miami pops up at that point and then it's like a four-way tie or something. But we have a, an advantage because we beat Miami and and we've beaten UNC and we, we have a bunch of Coastal wins. But either way, we don't want it to come to that. It's just something to, to keep an eye on. Maybe we want to root for UNC just for safety's sake this weekend. All right, let's get into the picks. Indiana is going to Penn State. This is an Indiana team that has surprised a lot of people, but they still weren't able to get into the college football playoff rankings. Penn State losing to Minnesota dropped to nine. They're 14 and a half point favorites over Indiana. That hook is tough. 
So it is. I'm gonna go. This one I was actually debating as we were sitting here looking at it. How is Penn State going to react to that loss where it's not dashed hopes? They still have a chance, but it's like the smallest margin of them actually fulfilling what they wanted to do. I'm going to go Penn State because I feel like they're, they're a young team trying to build for the future. So there is more to play for in setting up expectations for, for next year. But this year is going to be a struggle for them to achieve what, what they probably thought they could. I'm going to take Indiana plus 14 and a half. I, I don't necessarily think they'll win, but I think they can keep it closer. For a young team like Penn State, this is going to be a tough test. Can they can they bounce back and go out there and, and smash someone that apparently the line says they should? Next game, Michigan at Michigan State. Michigan's number 15 in the CFP rankings. 13 and a half point favorites going to East Lansing. I'm going to take Michigan State. I know that they just had an awful game. They were up 28-3 to on Illinois, and Illinois came back and won. So they're dealing with their own amount of devastation right now, but it's now Michigan week, and I think f- <laughs> something, about, uh, something about Michigan State, they, I feel like they're going to cover the spread, and I, I could end up looking very foolish here because they're, they're not a good football team, but it's a rivalry. I'll take the points. I'm going to go Michigan as much as I don't want to, and I don't like Harbaugh whatsoever. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. I, the Michigan State game was a devastating loss. They, they could bounce back. Michigan, this is their only redemption that they have left. They're not going to beat Ohio State. It's that's If they do, I will be blown away. So this is their last chance at redemption and, and really kind of making a statement. Next game, Navy at Notre Dame. This is actually a pretty darn good game. Navy's number 23, Notre Dame number 16 after throttling Duke. Notre Dame, nine-point favorites over Navy. That's a one-loss Navy, by the way. Uh, one of the many power, uh, G5 teams that are in the CFP rankings. I'm going to take Navy. That option, I think they'll keep the game close. I I actually think they could win it outright. This might be a good money line pick. I have no idea, but... I'm not going to be betting on the game, but I will take Navy against the spread here. I had Navy in this game, and I think it's. I think Notre Dame could pull it out, but it'll be like a field goal. It's going to be, I would imagine, low scoring, and I Navy's a good team this year. They played well. They have. They've they've had a good bounce back season. Next game, Minnesota at Iowa. Golden Gophers coming off the big win, number eight. And Iowa lost to Wisconsin in a very close game. They're number 20. Iowa the favorite. How about that? I think that means I'm taking Iowa. <laughs> You're going with that? I'm going to go Minnesota. I doubted them once. I, I can't doubt them again. Yeah, I doubted them too, and I, I, I looked like an idiot. So I mean, this might not be a good idea, but that line, I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. No, you're you're on the right side of the bet, but I'm on the emotional side of the bet. Next game, Oklahoma at Baylor. This is a huge game in the Big 12. Number 10, Oklahoma surviving against Iowa State in the late night game. They they stopped a two-point conversion or else they would have lost to Iowa State in a furious comeback. It's going to Baylor, who's undefeated. The lowest ranked 9-0 team in CFP history at number 13. 
I'm going to go uh, Oklahoma here. They almost lost to Iowa State. Uh, they should have lost, I mean, basically, with the two-point conversion that you and I you know, t- chatted a little bit about. And I feel like Baylor has squeaked by to their undefeated record, and this is the chance for Oklahoma to and Jalen Hurts to make it make it kind of a reality that they're still a legit team. Yeah, I I'm struggling because both of these teams just are coming off very uninspiring performances. It, it's it's difficult. The home field advantage is that worth you know the plus ten? I feel like it might be. Uh, going to Baylor, I'm going to take Baylor. I don't feel particularly good about it, but I'll take Baylor plus 10. Georgia at Auburn, last game we're going to pick. Number four, Georgia going to number 12, Auburn. It just never stops for Auburn (laughs) and Georgia for that matter. The SEC is brutal this year. Georgia three-point favorites on the road. You can go first this time. I don't think George is playing particularly well right now, even though they just you know easily covered the last game. They're not playing like a playoff. Team. Georgia has they could be they could make the playoff. I mean they have more to play for. Yeah. They're in it right now. They're number four. Yeah, and well, the, how they ended the season like Utah wins out their end. You know, <laughs> Oregon wins out their end. You know, Oklahoma wins out their end. A lot of teams would be in over Georgia if you know yeah. things played out that way. So. I'm going to go Georgia just because I feel like they have more on the line. And I have a feeling that means you're probably going to go Auburn because I think we've been opposite on every single pick, actually, so far. For the first time, I think, maybe in No podcast. way. Really? That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm debating this because these this rivalry has is, is very, very strange. And I want to take Auburn. They're tough to beat at home. I'll take them plus the points. Maybe this is a two or one point game and Georgia still gets the win. I'll take Auburn. Every single pick opposite. See, we're making up. Oh, no, we got, we both picked Navy. Okay. Okay. There are two more games just with regard to the ACC. I talked about UNC at Pitt. Pitt's a four point favorite in that one. And then Wake is going to Clemson. 34 and a half points. <laughs> my first time I didn't pick Clemson to cover and it blew up in my face because they covered almost in the I know you have been picking them every week. Almost in the first last it was twenty eight nothing in the first quarter. They almost it's covered insane. the spread in the first quarter. So I should have just stuck to my guns. Yeah, well, you know what I did last weekend? There was a forty three and a half point spread in the Ohio State Maryland game. And I didn't bet it, but it was in my one of my pickums that I play, and I took Maryland because at at, at a forty three points or whatever the hell it was, you have no clue. Like if backups are going to be in. What I think that Ohio State might have effectively ended the Maryland football program in that game. He scored seventy three points. Well, I think uh, that was outdone because this week. I'm almost certain the number, and I'm, I'm forgetting from the podcast, uh, Ohio State over Rutgers. They, oh, I think it's 52. It's a 52-point spread, and the over-under is 56. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty that's sure amazing. like that's how... That's, that's That's... I mean, first of all, they already fired their coach, so it doesn't like... I mean, like yeah. you, can't, you can't do any more devastation, but that's bad. Yeah, maybe it makes Maryland happy because they don't look as bad as Rutgers with that spread, but 
Man, oh man. Maryland last two weeks, Ohio State and Michigan. That only helps Virginia Tech out with getting some recruits, I would hope. Yeah. (laughs) Regionally, anyway. Yeah. Let's go up there and. But yeah, that Clemson spread 34 and a half over a week. A team that was just ranked and seven and one a week ago is now 34 and a half. And if they had beaten us, maybe that spreads 25, 28. It's still going to be huge. And that. That's the gap that we're dealing with. And that's something that I actually texted you about this week was maybe it's good that we didn't have Hooker starting and we lost a couple games because we're not going to fool ourselves into thinking that, hey, if we make it to the ACC championship game, we can beat Clemson. Because I, any UNC almost beat Clemson. It is possible. But you see these spreads. You see the way that Clemson's been performing as the season <laughs> is maturing and it's not close against any of these ACC teams that have a very similar statistical makeup and S and P rating to what we have. So yes, I want to win the coastal. I want to win out. I want to be nine and three going into a a game against Clemson, but I don't want to lie to myself and tell me that we're going to beat them. (laughs) I think if like we played Clemson as a crossover a week ago, then anything's possible where when you get to the ACC championship, that is a very different beast. That's going to come out on the field. The scouting's different. The player motivation's different. Everything is a lot different. So totally agree with that. But I think it's when you play them. I think that's why UNC was able to keep it close because during the season, it's a little bit different. They, they, you get them in a noon game away from their own house yeah, you can kind of catch them sleeping. They're not going to be sleeping for an ACC title game. Yeah. Well, that was a good podcast, Robbie. I think we covered everything that we need to cover. I'm looking forward to the Georgia Tech game this weekend. i cautiously optimistic because we've learned, whether it's the Syracuse game or the ODU game the last couple of years, as soon as you get confident, you know, things come to bite you. But Fuente is going to have these guys locked in. The he, this is a, a team we need to beat. Good teams beat this team. And I, I think that this team has reached a point where we can consider them good. The game that we could be sleep on and we did sleep on at when we had Duke at home, that's in the, you only get one game like that when you're a program like us to, to have the sleepy kind of get beat really, really bad or not pay attention to an opponent we we played that chip. It's gone. So now it's time to just huddle in, finish off the season, and I'll keep saying it. Everything's in front of them, right? Every, all of this team's aspirations and what a normal team would want to do, which is to try and you know get to a conference championship, win a conference championship, get to a good bowl, try and win that bowl. It's all still in front of them. So, but this sets up a lot of narrative for the end of this season and next season. It's don't walk, don't sleepwalk into this game because it's too big of a game for Georgia tech and Virginia tech has been, has become, I should say pretty big game. All the goodwill and momentum that we've built up would be undone in one trip to Atlanta. So let's not do that. Go down there. You don't need to win by a lot. You don't need to cover to make me happy. You just need to win. That's it. And I'm happy with a field goal win, a two-point win, a one-point win. 
So I'm hoping that's what they can pull off. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. Gmail is 2DVT at gmail.com. And then the website is 2DVT.com. Check out our beers, our stats. Uh, there's even a few pictures and bios and everything about Robbie and I. You can find on the website. If you've never been there, it's kind of cool. Stream the podcast at work if your boss is not paying attention. And find us on Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Always. We can always use more reviews. If you have a chance, write us a review. Until next time, when we have hopefully reached bowl eligibility, go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>